0: What would your company look like if you chopped your software engineering interview process down to less than 3 hours total, and you could hire someone in a week from their first interaction? Today, we'll take a deep dive into how you can streamline your interviewing process. I've used the following methods at 4 different companies with a high rate of success, and you can as well. The ideas are straightforward and save you and your company time and money. Welcome back for episode three of Hartley's Handbook. I'm John Hartley, and this is the go-to podcast for engineering leaders looking to level up their skills. Each week, I'll dive deep into the world of management, bringing you tactical advice that cuts through the noise. No vapid quotes, no BS, just straightforward advice you can implement immediately. This week's focus, interviewing process. We'll start off with some overarching principles, then move into a more granular view of how each part of the process should work. Along the way, if you have any questions, send them to me. Interviewing and hiring is one of my all-time favorite engineering topics. So let's get interviewing. I do want to caveat this here by saying that you need a good partner within the business. I've had a few great ones over the years and you know, I may even have one of them on the show at some point. Uh, But it is important to understand who is working with you, what are their constraints, what are their requirements, and how do you form a good relationship with them in order for all of this to be effective. For what we go over today, keep in mind that the questions within each of the chunks will be the key factor to making your interviewing process successful. This is merely a starting point, and I'll dive into each further along the way. I think it's important to recognize as well that there's some upfront work to do here. This is not, oh, I'm going to say immediately that this is how we're doing it, and suddenly everything is reduced in time and scope, etc. You have to put in the legwork, you have to work on it, and you have to continue tweaking over time. You also want to understand, how do you measure these things? We'll get into that in a future podcast episode. A major thing to remember within any interview process is that each portion of the pipeline should support the next steps. If the initial screen shows the individual may be weak in Ruby on Rails, the technical screen should either validate or disprove that they are weak in that area. If the technical assessment gives some mini flags of ego or cockiness, the values fit should work on validating or disproving that, and so on. The simple template looks like this, it's four parts. You have the initial screen, which is 45 minutes maximum, you have the technical skills assessment, which is one to two hours, depending. You have the values fit interview, which is one hour max, and then you have the final check, and that's 30 minutes max. The total time from the above is roughly three to five hours. It might feel short, but I've found great success in this amount of time. It's better for your business, it's better for your candidates. Overall, the experience is better for everyone. I prefer to break it down into two days, so day one is the initial screen, day two is the technical assessment, the values fit, and the final check. Then by day five, we're either able to give an offer to the candidate, or we have decided to reject the candidate. Be respectful of a candidate's time, and remember that they will likely need to take PTO in order to accommodate the second day of the process. Don't get all high and mighty and say, well, if they don't want to spend time with us, they must not want the job. Have some empathy. Remember what your interview process was like and work with them to make it work. Some hiring considerations. Talked a little bit about performance and measuring. And before we dive into each section, I want to outline the variables associated with shortening or lengthening an interview process. A while back, I was asked to pour jet fuel on a process, which was an incredibly fun task for me to think through. In doing so, the following variables came to mind as factors that determine how fast a company can really go with their engineering interview process. So first, we have hiring accuracy. What percentage of individuals must be retained, either voluntarily or involuntarily, after X period of time? So I want this to be 100% successful. I want 100% of my individuals to stay here after we have interviewed them. All right, it's probably gonna take longer. We wanna make sure that it is an exact fit and that we're not gonna have regret it in three months. Speed to fire. Does your management group have enough discipline and time for proper performance management? And are we okay cutting ties quickly? A lot of times you can tell within two or three months that this person is not going to work out. But how often do we see companies say, well, all right, maybe we just didn't onboard them well enough. Maybe we didn't do this or that. And so you try to pull them through six months later. We're probably still in the same position, pulling them through, having to spend a lot of time with them and performance management has not gone well. So in that regard, if you know early, are you okay with cutting early? I think too many times people are like, oh, well, we made this investment. We invested all this time in interviewing, which is what we're trying to fix right here. So we have to stick with them. We have to give them a chance. We have to say, well, if they fail, we failed in the interview process. And because of that, we get into the sunk cost bias. Don't let yourself do that determine as a management group how quickly can we fire someone how quickly if we determine they're not going to work out can we say all right we made a mistake let's open direct back up and go after somebody else now don't get me wrong i'm not saying oh anyone who has performance issues just out the door immediately get them out week one not gonna happen it's not what i'm saying (laughs) i'm mainly saying figure out what that timeline is and what your group is comfortable with. Number three in hiring considerations is speed of productivity. How quickly do we need these individuals to be productive on their team or teams? If it's, I need someone in that seat who can immediately do the job, you're probably going to need someone with more experience. That person can be harder to find. You're looking for a very, uh, as Liam Neeson put, a very specific set of skills that you need to put into that chair so it may take a little longer. If it's, ah, we have a good onboarding program, we have learning that they can do, three to six months is fine for them to ramp up. That's okay. That's easier. You have more variability. You have more room to work with. Number four is available support. Are our mentor-capable engineers available to support their new team members? Or do we have other structures in place to support them? If there's no support, You need someone who is more independent. You need someone who is able to be productive by themselves. Again, tougher person to find. That timeline is going to change as to how quickly you can do these things. Number five is level flexibility. Asking for 10 junior engineers, much easier than five staff engineers. Boot camps can be a great way to get junior engineers. You know that they're hungry. You know that they want to do the job. And you know that they are just looking to grow within a position easier to get 10 juniors for sure but are there gains if you bring in juniors quickly versus staff engineers slowly something that you have to determine then location flexibility if the company is fully remote much easier to attract talent at different skill levels because the pool is much broader if you need someone to relocate or convince them to commute and it'll likely drag out the process. So we have those six in mind. Now, two core metrics I want to note before we go any farther. One is cost to hire. The other is speed to hire. These are the two things that I always track. So cost to hire. From resourcing to the moment they start, what is the total investment you have put into that individual? It's not only the cost of one individual's path. But the path of all others that didn't make it that far, the total cost of recruiting, the total hours spent interviewing, all of that then divided by the number of hires is the cost to hire. You want that number to be lower. Just for clarity, I I think everybody was on the same page there, but for clarity, the cost to hire, you want that to be as low as possible. Now, you don't want to uh, give away the other items, so the six that we talked about. You don't want to say, well, those are out the window because I need this cost higher to be low. You want to measure it and determine what seems reasonable for hiring someone. Is it $1,000? Is it $20,000? Is it $100,000? It's probably not that last one. But by measuring, you can understand your baseline across the board. And as you open new recs, you can say, okay, last time it was this, let's try to reduce that. How do we reduce that? How do we tweak the machine? How do we work on our interview pipeline? Then second is speed to hire. There are two flavors of speed, chocolate and vanilla. Just kidding. Uh, the, oh, so many people just dipping off after that. Uh, the first is time to close the open role or how long it takes from when you make a role public to that person's first day. The second is time from first contact. So a cold email using LinkedIn recruiter message, etc., to the time that they start. Note that for each of these, it goes until the person starts, not when the offer is signed. You can go with the signed offer as the end date, but I've seen too much weirdness happen post-signing to pat myself on the back at that point. You need that exact start date and that they actually did before you can check it off the list and say, okay, this is exactly what it was in this case. Now that we've covered the hiring considerations, let's dive into the parts that make up our hiring process. The first is our initial screen. So this is 45 minutes max. The key goal is for an early assessment as to whether the individual seems like there'll be a good technical and a good value fit for the company and team the individuals that conduct this interview, normally the hiring manager or the technical recruiter. Now I say technical recruiter in this case because I think it's important for individuals that are recruiting for tech roles to have some tech experience. Now I've worked with some folks that uh, did not have technical background at all, and I was able to coach them into understanding what the red flags were, what the positives were, things to jot down and call BS on in interviews as they hear them. So it's not a requirement, but this is normally the recruiter or the hiring manager. Just depends who has the time, what your structure looks like, how large your company is, normally determines that as well. A summary of this interview is candidate background, company and role background, a quick technical check, candidate questions, than any additional company questions that they may have the initial screen is equal parts of you selling the company to the individual and the individual pitching themselves to you it's equal parts there so the candidate background and overview start off by asking the candidate to give a bit of their background summarizing portions of their career that make them a good fit for your company. Help to lead them into that and not just tell me your entire life story. I want to hear it from the beginning. When you were a small child to now, tell me all the things. Now, By this point in the process, you should have their resume. So don't ask them to give you a chronological breakdown of every position they've held. Highlighting the roles that transfer best into the new role should give you a good sense of if they're a one skill master or if they're well-rounded and capable of picking up new skills. The company and role background and overview. This is once they've gone through their background, ask if they have any initial questions about the role or company. I like to add questions early on. This is not a one-sided conversation. like, hey, so far from what you've heard or the job posting that you saw, do you have any questions about the company or the role itself? If they've done their homework, they may have several right away. If not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but dive into your overview and pitch. At this point, you have likely given this pitch many times, so be sure to ask if they have any additional questions or clarifications once you're finished. Check all the basic boxes. Do they have experience with the technology or subject matter you and your team work with day to day? If not, are they willing to learn And do you believe that they can learn based on their background, based on their experience so far, are their skills and prior work transferable? Give them a chance to ask any additional questions on their end. I like to close with anything additional you would like us to know about you. Finally, if you feel the candidate fits 70% or more of the criteria for your role, discuss the next steps and check on their availability for the next portion. If you feel they do not, you can do one of two things. Option one, let them know you will review with the team and get back to them in a few days on the next steps. Don't let this drag out and absolutely do not ghost them. Please, please, (laughs) please stop ghosting candidates. If they've spent any time with you, you owe it to them to give them some resolution. The second option is tell them on the call that based on what you've heard, you don't feel they are the right fit and you'll be ending the process there. This is more of a gut punch, but it's also clear and direct. I've done this a few times, but also added what they should look into for additional training, especially with less experienced engineers. I've even offered myself up as a resource if they had additional questions later on. It hurts, but honestly, I've established some good relationships this way and even hired a few later in their careers. Be open, be honest about the resolution here. The third option is tell them on the call, like, hey, great, would love to continue this conversation. Do you have some times that would work for you later this week or next week so I can get the rest of the team involved? That is the one you're hoping for. You're hoping for that third option, but the first two are equally important. So we've completed the first part of the interview process. Let's move on to number two. Number two is the technical skills assessment. The key goal is to assess problem solving and technical skills, as well as candidates ability to work with others on the team who conducts this one. This is engineers, most likely, preferably from the team that is hiring at varying levels. I've seen companies make the mistake of, well, only seniors will interview this person like only seniors. That is the very basis of (laughs) gatekeeping. And it is extremely important to have less experienced engineers in there as well. At one of the companies I worked for, uh, an individual that was a junior, was the best interviewer that I think I've ever had on a panel. Like, she was extremely good at digging in further. She was extremely kind and always had a great way at making the candidates feel comfortable. But she was precise. She knew exactly what we were looking for and probably one of the best interviewers that that I've worked with. So that's something to me where you have to make sure that the different experiences on the panel are representative of your entire company. So don't gatekeep that, don't make that mistake. The technical skill assessment gives you a snapshot of how an individual might work in your environment and with your engineers. There are a few different types of technical assessments that can be considered here. Decisions will depend on the six hiring considerations I mentioned earlier and the speed at which you would like to move. Here are three of my optimal options. The first is a home rolled code day. Now, my preferred method of technical assessment, if possible, is the home rolled code day, which allows you to create a custom one to two hour interview where you can make any code specific to the job that the individual will do if they are hired. This method has the benefit of giving you an idea of their technical chops in your stack, but also gives them an idea of what the code base or work will look like day to day. So the individual comes in, they can see what it's gonna be like for them, and you can see what they would be like in your world. The biggest challenge with this method is finding a problem that can be solved in a short amount of time, is specific to your company's work without needing to be production ready, while also giving the interviewee enough of a chance to understand the technical stack they might work in. Consider putting the files on GitHub, that way the individual can pull the code base down and test their environment ahead of time. Environment problems, I I wanna emphasize this, environment problems are not a reason to fail a candidate. You can't say, oh well, their IDE stopped working or, oh, they, they didn't know how to use this IDE that we use. That's not a reason to fail them. Did they understand the technical stuff? IDEs can be taught, right? You spend a little more time with it. You take a tutorial, do some training. That can be taught pretty easily. Never fail a candidate for that reason. Hard stop. This method has the largest upfront cost and will require some engineering time to build initially, but the payout is huge for your process. It looks like this, one hour technical challenge that represents real work, one hour debugging or architectural discussion that represents real work, depending on company need. Each session should also be viewed as a pairing with the individuals interviewing the candidate. This gives the opportunity to both you and the candidate to see what it would be like to work with them in real time. Another option is homework, pre-work, and live review. When we were testing for front-end engineers at one of the first companies I was at, we would send homework to candidates to weed out the ones that just really didn't know anything. It was super basic. It was HTML and CSS. Hey, create this basic layout. Here are all the files for it. In general, should take you an hour to do. Now, I, at this point in my career, am not a huge fan of the take-home work. I think... You will always get a better sense of how someone works by in-office, but when it comes to something as basic as HTML and CSS, and that's what you're hiring for, and that is what they will do day-to-day, if they can't even do that at home, they're not going to be able to do it in your office. So I think in that case, it's fine. It's a a case-by-case basis. You can send me your cases, and I will weigh each of them individually and determine whether or not I think it's fine for homework or not. If you go this route, the exercise should be no more than one hour. I want to emphasize no more than one hour because it's very easy to say, oh, well, I don't know, however long it takes you. But you really want to emphasize with the candidate too, hey, try to limit yourself to an hour here. We're not looking for completion. We just want to get a good sense of how you reason about the code, how you write code, how you would structure this. Also, dog food your own process to make sure it is no longer than an hour, instead of stating it. While I generally don't like homework for interviewing, there are a few roles where I think it is beneficial. After the homework portion, we would bring individuals in for a few hours to sit in the office and work through another UI problem. This again to emphasize that you're trying to make it as close to a real-world working situation as possible. We had an open office, we had chaos all the time. So if you can't sit there and do this piece of work in the chaos that you will eventually be in anyway, uh, probably not gonna be a good fit. I had someone completely forget what an API was when they were there. Now, I'm not convinced that they knew what an API was when they walked in, uh, (laughs) but it certainly did not help. And they didn't Google it either, which blew my mind. Anyway, this represented real work that they would do day to day, but gave them focus time to get it done. We were also non-remote at the time, so it gave them a chance to work in our environment. It is easy to give this time in a remote environment as well. Be available for questions during this time and note check-in points where you will see if they have any questions for you. This portion of the process can be telling about whether they will reach out if they get stuck. While most individuals were able to get the work done or ask questions along the way, there were definitely anomaly candidates that this process sifted out. The last piece of the interview was a code review with the individual, along with a few prompts about how they would extend the code further if needed. Completion was not the only way to pass, but it was a good sign of speed or expertise with the toolset. Discussion, ability to take feedback, and ability to think through future states told us more about a candidate than just saying, hey, go take that thing home, come back and then uh, we'll just assess based only on that thing itself so try to think through how can you make it as realistic as possible on both sides within this part of the process another option is outsourcing there are several companies that specialize in outsource technical code tests companies that come to mind are woven byteboard and carrot each giving you the ability to outsource and standardize testing immediately. If speed is your top priority, outsourcing the assessment is your best bet. Each of the companies mentioned gives different levels of interviews in different coding languages. Each also has consistent interviews with set scoring to help eliminate bias in the process. It also removes any internal concerns of sandbagging or sabotage. So, oh, the senior was a little worried about uh, or intimidated by this senior that was coming in, and so they sabotaged the interview. It happens. It might feel more impersonal to outsource that technical interview, but if it saves you and the candidate's time, they can take the test whenever is best for them, is it really a negative? There are plenty of other ways to assess technical skill. But the methods that we've discussed are what I have found best when trying to stick to a two-hour time frame. If you've got other methods that you've tried and think work well, let me know. I've also experienced RFCs, writing an RFC as a take-home or writing an RFC after you've been able to ask a few questions. I think whatever process you use day-to-day, that is what should be mirrored in your technical interview process. A quick note the technical assessment should not be a fishbowl process, especially if you work in an engineering culture that promotes collaboration. The interview should also be collaborative. The interviewee is not there to put on a show. So if you're in the room with them, talk to them, work, work with them, ask them questions. They're there to get a sense of if they would feel comfortable working in an environment with your engineering team. I've seen too many technical interviews where a good engineer panics because they are getting nothing in response from the interviewers. Total silence for 30 minutes is gonna spook anybody. So work with them, work on the collaboration, and make it a collaborative process. The third interview piece is values fit. So again, this is a one hour maximum. The key goal is to determine, does the individual align to the company and team values, or are there red flags that prove otherwise? This is conducted by cross-functional partners, stakeholders, or other engineers. You want to get a broader sense of how will they work across teams with all different uh, members of these teams? If you've got a product organization, you know, how will they work with product managers, designers? You want to make sure that they're not only responding well to engineers, but can also talk to the other members of your company. The values fit portion of the interview is debatable for me. If you've included questions about your values as an organization and as an engineering team up until this point, you may be able to skip over this portion. I know some people don't like hearing that, but again, it depends on how fast you're trying to go. Where I see the biggest benefit of this particular interview is the cross-functional partners. Product managers, designers, or engineers from other teams can give a different perspective of the candidate. Where the values interview becomes difficult is training. The more individuals you add to a process, the higher the risk of unconscious or even conscious bias leaking into the process. More training is needed, as is a review of scores from interviewers to ensure they are assessing on the right areas. Keep in mind that it should be made very clear how this interview differs from the others, Candidates are already in a fog during interview day, so clarifying that they will be asked more about how they work with others, past experiences, and optimal work environment can relieve some stress of context switching. Another way to think about this interview is the soft skills or human skills section. Where the technical was the hard skills, this is all about those soft skills and human skills. This portion of the interview is where many companies dive into the tell me about a time questions. While these questions are helpful, I have a few that tend to tell me more about an individual. I go into detail in one of the posts on site, but for the four questions I like, what was the last piece of feedback you received? What was the last piece of feedback you gave? What project are you most proud of? And what's a project that didn't go so well? Themes that should be answered by the end of this interview are, What is this individual like to work with? Would I be able to collaborate with this individual? Do they fit the style of work that we are trying to do? If not, what concerns do I have about them? Where there are concerns, did the interviewers give a chance for the interviewee to clarify or follow up? Feedback in this section holds less weight in the broader interview process, to me at least, but can be beneficial for any red flags or patterns that emerge in other portions. An example where this was helpful, a candidate nailed the first technical portion of the interview, but in the second part of the technical assessment and the values fit interview, they were condescending toward all the female interviewers. One instance of this is generally enough to fail a candidate, but when it is across multiple interviewers, it is even more clear. Seeing that pattern was an easy way to say, you know what? This person is not the right fit for us. They're not going to make it through the rest of the way. So that is the third portion the values fit. Now we make it to the final check. So if candidate has made it here, this conversation is normally pretty easy, but the key goal is to answer any remaining questions on either side. This, I think, should always be conducted by the hiring manager. So at the end of day two, the hiring manager should spend time with the candidate to see how things have gone. By this point, a hiring manager will likely see some of the feedback coming in and can also ask the interviewers to see if there are additional areas to dig in. I generally take this time to see how the process has been for the candidate so far and if they have any questions about the company, the role, or the teams based on what they've heard. This is also a good time to validate that the job still looks like something they're interested in. In some cases, it's not, and you can have an open conversation about their concerns. Maybe you can reconcile those concerns. Maybe the concerns are too large. Either is okay. The important thing is to talk about them. Questions during this portion should be about what makes them nervous about the potential new role, areas where they think they would need support or how their previous experiences would help them transition into this position. I also like to ask about how they like to be managed, how their best or worst managers manage them, and what they would be looking for from me if they took the role. This is a final check because both candidate and interviewer should feel like they know where things stand at the end of the day. If things have not gone well, or you are confident it will be a rejection, it's okay to have that conversation. Before closing, explain the next steps. Hey, thanks for your time today. I'll be getting with the team to review all the feedback and you should hear something from myself or insert recruiter here in the next three days. During that time, let us know if you have any questions or concerns. Be quick with the review and follow up to ensure you are doing right by the candidate and keeping your process moving. Personally, I like to finish all of it in the following 48 hours, if at all possible. Dragging it out past 48 hours is tough both internally and for the candidate. The last part here, offer or rejection. Key goal is to present the result of the interview process. This is conducted by the hiring manager and or technical recruiter. Unlike L'Orchestra Cinematique's song in the trailer of Edge of Tomorrow, this is the end of the process. At this point, you reviewed all feedback, had follow-up conversations where needed, and determined whether you would like for the candidate to work with you and your team. If you are extending an offer, you met with your internal team and know what will go into the offer from a salary and benefits perspective. My quick take is if the individual has stated a desired comp already, either hit it or go above what they asked for. I generally expect folks will come back with the counter, It's a good practice as a candidate, but never lowball their initial ask unless they oversold their skills or you don't mind them rejecting the offer. Keep in mind if you do undercut their initial stated comp request, your probability of losing the candidate skyrockets. Common sense, but lowballing is a bad way to start a relationship. If you are rejecting the candidate, be clear about why and make clear whether there is an opportunity for them to take a position in the future. If they are a good team fit but their skills do not match, let them know how they may enhance those skills for the future. If the candidate is being rejected because they are a total jerk, It may be a bit more difficult to find the right words, but whatever you choose, they will always see you as wrong, terrible, and incompetent. At this point, the hope is you have closed the deal or cut the candidate loose and can move forward accordingly. Regardless of the outcome, take a moment to look back at the process for that candidate and see if there are any adjustments you should make. We've covered the main portions of the interview process that I think is optimal. But here are a few things that you don't want to do, or that I don't like to do. First is reference checks. No reference checks for me. Simply put, reference checks are a waste of time if you're trying to determine whether the individual will be successful or not. I've never learned anything in a reference check that I didn't already know, or that was revelatory. The key thing to remember, no one will give you a reference if they're not prepared to say something complimentary about the individual. Remember, too, you are not some incredible detective that will shine a bright light on something bad the person did by interrogating a source provided by the individual. I'm sure there are certain scenarios where this can be impactful, but I've yet to find them. Another no here is no brain trust reviews. I've worked in several places where all individuals involved in the interview process for a candidate would get into a room and discuss whether the person should be hired or not. I've also eliminated that process at all of those companies because, to me, it is a waste of time and unproductive. Here's why. First problem is the loudest voice wins. Whoever is seen as the most respected, whoever is seen as the loudest, or, honestly, whoever talks the loudest in those conversations, they generally win out. That's because other people just don't have the time to spend to fight it. If someone is making a tough argument or not even a tough argument if they're just being loud with their argument other people are going to back out of the conversation number two the quieter voices don't have a seat so again like if someone is introverted may have a lot of good feedback and be like hey this person would be perfect for these reasons that loud voice is going to overshadow them then number three there's rarely anything new to learn if you had every individual fill out a feedback form that should be good enough Groupthink is all too common in these scenarios, and whoever casts the first stone ends up leading the decision in the room for the other individuals. Dissenting opinions are typically difficult to express, and any positives or negatives for a candidate tend to get buried if one interviewer is loud about their stance. It is more beneficial to spend time with individuals to clarify their feedback or ask additional questions. Do not ask leading questions when following up, but see if they can expand on why something seemed like a positive or a negative. We all see things differently, so where I may view something as positive, you may view it as a negative, or vice versa. Chatting through the difference in opinion is better served in a one-on-one setting than a group conversation. So keep that in mind if you've already got these big collective groups that are talking through a candidate. Try just tweaking going one on one talking with each person individually. See how it goes. So final thoughts here. This is a small template with a lot crammed into it. I understand that. There's a lot baked into this. But the key thing in any interview process is that it is not a crockpot. You cannot set it and forget it. The process is a living thing that should evolve and improve over time. Shifting based on hiring considerations and what roles are needed and by when. Keep poking at it and review your metrics frequently. Do you need to optimize for something new? Do you need to give different trainings? Do you need different people performing your interview process? All of these are considerations that you should make as you continue to look at your process over time. I know that was a lot for today. I know when you think about an interview process, there's a lot that goes into it. That's all right. That's how it should be. If you have thoughts on what we've gone over, let me know. I'm open to it. I love talking about this stuff. It's a lot of fun for me, and I've been doing it for, I guess at this part, I've been part of interview processes for 10 years. Wow. long time. So I've seen both good and bad as both the candidate and as the interviewer. And so I really really enjoy talking through what may or may not work for your company next week we'll be taking a look at some steps to move from software engineer to engineering manager and why the move may be right for you or why it's absolutely not something you want to do Till then you can reach out to me at hartleyshandbook.com, linkedin or send me a message at johnbhartley@gmail.com. at gmail.com thanks again for listening and have a great week Oh, oh,